The Holy Gospel according to John in the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me of anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The year was 325 AD, and the place was a small town called Nicaea, in what's now Turkey. About 300 bishops from across the Roman Empire gathered for the first time in the history of the church. And the convener, convener of this great council was the Emperor Constantine. And the Emperor was worried. He was the first of the Caesars to embrace Christianity, and he was counting on keeping the empire unified through the church that had spread into every corner of the Roman world. But a great debate among the bishops was about to split the church in half. One of these factions was led by a man named Arius, who believed that Jesus was a creature upon whom divinity was bestowed. The other party was led by Athanasius, who claimed that Jesus was the eternal Son of God upon whom humanity was bestowed. The debate at Nicaea was fierce. But eventually it became clear to the vast majority of the bishops that the whole gospel was lost if Jesus was a man who became divine. And so they voted with Athanasius, who claimed that Jesus was always the same essence of God and thus divine. And the theology that they hammered out became the first of our ecumenical confessions, the great Nicene Creed. Now, why is this important? Both Arius and Athanasius thought Jesus was the Savior, and both ended up in the same place of affirming his divinity. Does it really make that much difference if he's a god who became a man or a man who became a god? And what difference does this make to you as you knock yourselves out to do well in the marketplaces or at school or at home taking care of the huge needs of small children? 
Well, the importance of this debate, which is still alive and well today, by the way, is found in our gospel text this morning. We've all echoed the words of the disciple Philip who said, Jesus, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. We may not use such clear theological and existential language, but that's precisely the most pressing yearning that arises from our souls. How do we find the Heavenly Father? And that's because we know that nothing in life will be right unless heaven and earth are reconciled for us. So how do we get back to God? Now, that may not be the first question that comes to your mind in the morning. You may be thinking only about the many things you have to do in the day, but behind every agenda in life is the drive to get your life to the right place. It's what you want for your health, your career, relationships, and family. You want them to be right, and that's why you work so hard to get to the right place, because in your soul you know that you're not there yet. Show us the Father and we will be satisfied, Philip says. Yes, Jesus, do show us how to get home to God where life feels right again. And from at least the fourth century, Christians have been debating how it is that Jesus gets us to the right place. In other words, exactly how does Jesus the Savior save us? If Arius was right, and Jesus is just another creature upon whom divinity was bestowed, then salvation means that Jesus showed you how to do it. He's the human exemplar for finding our way to the right place. And so Arius would tell us that we are right to be knocking ourselves out in life. You'd better be working as hard as possible at the office. You'd better be striving to become the super parent who can ferry the kids to school, soccer, piano lessons, karate, and who can still maintain an immaculate home, prepare gourmet dinners, and hold down a career or volunteer in the community. And Arius would tell our kids, you'd better get the A in school so you can get into the best college and then the best grad school so you can get the best job, so you can get the best life in the rightest place in town. And if he were our preacher today, Arius would say, the function of the church then is to show us how Jesus did it, with remarkable sacrifice while still being compassionate. And that you can do it too. You have the potential. And if you ever get confused, just ask yourselves, what would Jesus do? And by the way, if you're wondering, the church's typical response to that question is more. Jesus would do more. As the bishops at Nicaea dissected Arius' teaching, they rightly began to wonder if this is really salvation. Is this our great hope? To claim that the purpose of religion is to motivate you to do more? To add a bunch of spiritual oughts onto your already demanding schedule or to tease you with the unrealistic hope that you too can become a son or daughter of God and get life to the right place if you only try harder? No, they said. There's no hope in that. There's only despair because we'll never be as good as Jesus. And it's ironic that both conservative and liberal Christians, for all of their many differences, are tempted to Arius' theological model. The conservatives tend to reduce Jesus' teaching to a moral code of oughts that they seek to legislate for others, believing that then we will get the nation to the right place. We ought to mandate traditional family values, they say. 
We ought to restrict a woman's right to choose. We ought to support voucher systems so parents can send their kids to Christian schools. The liberals reject such a conservative agenda, but replace it only with a different set of oughts that reduce Jesus' teaching to yet a different social agenda. We ought to work for a more equitable distribution of wealth. We ought to work for farm workers, immigrants, and LGBTQIA plus rights. We ought to boycott, divest, and march our way into the right place. And when Arius hears these debates from the right and the left, he smiles from his grave because he can't lose. These are all just competing ways of imitating Jesus in the hopes of getting home. Now, I'm not saying that these political debates are unimportant. Of course, they're very important. And we all need to have thoughtful positions on these issues before our society. But what I'm saying is that we dare not think we have captured Jesus in our position. As Athanasius and the Nicene Creed remind us, Jesus has his own mission. And it's not to show us how to fight, debate, and struggle our way to the right place. His mission was to bring the right place to us. And once we become clearer about the mission of the eternal Son of God who was made man, as the creed claims, then our mission in life becomes clear too. No longer do we have to strive to get to the right place because Jesus is not an example for getting to God. He's the God who has come to us, and now the right place is wherever he may be found. And he can be found among conservatives and liberals. He can be found in the library, the office, the hospital. He can be found among the poor and the rich and those in between in homes, minivans, and on street corners. Jesus, the Son of God, can be found in the tears of a friend who's come to you in a wedding like the one at Cana. In the smile of a differently abled child and in a gentle thank you of a person who receives food at room at the inn. And that's because, as the Son of God, Jesus is the outstretched hands of the Father. And he's got the whole world in his hands. And the question is, are you looking for him? Or have you been blinded by your desire to be just as good as he is? Philip said to Jesus, Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. We'll stop striving. And Jesus responded, The Father is in me. I am the way. Arius was wrong. Jesus doesn't show us the way. He is the way. And you'll never be satisfied until you see that what you want is already in front of you and that his name is Jesus. We still commit ourselves to mission. The social agendas and political debates, we still have a lot of hard work to do. And we still must get those kids to soccer and to dance or wherever they need to get to. But now we enter all that work not out of a desperate effort to get life right. Now it's because we might just see the Son of God out there and nothing else will satisfy. Friends, the question isn't what would Jesus do? The question is, what is Jesus doing? And that changes everything about our mission. Amen.